Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. A mysterious beast slaughters, mutilates, and eats villagers. The government can't stop it. And then we take a look at the phenomenon known as the third man. When you're lost in the middle of nowhere, and someone appears at your side seeming to help you, are you going crazy? Or have you finally seen your guardian angel today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I am broadcasting live, not really, but I am broadcasting with a half-shaved head. I was giving myself a faux hawk yesterday, and my clippers, I realized halfway through, are much more dull than I had thought they had. I bought them a couple years ago. I should have figured it. I don't have any oil for it. So I got one side of my head looking pretty smooth, looking pretty tight. The other side of my head, not so much. So I gotta go and buy a pair of clippers, and I don't care. I mean, the point of the, the the way I wear my hair, anyways, I always look like I'm either a bushman or a Viking, and their hair wasn't that even either. So I'm not too worried about it. But if you happen to see me about today and wonder why is his hair half cut, that's why. So we're gonna go ahead and get started with our first episode. Now, first episode's a bit of a double header because we're gonna talk about what seems to be like one of the most badass jobs. So, from the year 2016 to 2018, in India, there's a man-eating tiger and her two cubs walking around. (laughs) That's my tiger noise. That's the prowl before they go, and they're eating people. 13 people are killed. And the, the villagers are like, dude, this totally sucks. This tiger's eating all of us. And the reason why the cubs were also a target, because the mama tiger would kill someone and then let the little cubs eat it. So they have all become officially man-eating tigers, which means they have to be put down. They have developed a taste for that sweet, sweet human meat. Someone has to take them out. Now, in this is dope. This is what I thought was so dope. There is a hunter named Nawab Shafath Ali Khan. And he is the, he's like a big game hunter to the point where the, he's basically the James Bond of big game hunters. The government calls him up and they're like, Khan, we need your help. And he's like, I'm already on it. And they're like, how'd you know we wanted that rhino killed? He's like, I don't know, I read the news. He goes around and they hire him to take out wild animals. He's, they sent him to kill a rogue elephant or more, more than one. He actually killed his first rogue elephant when he was only 19. They were having this huge boar infestation in the area. And they're like, hey, we need you to go in and cull the boar in this area. He killed 250 of them. And he's like, I'm just doing a social service. <laughs> we were like, dude, you're kind of nuts, man. You're like killing all these animals. Conservation groups hate him. And when this case first came out, all these people are getting killed. The conservation groups were like, no, no, you don't know if the, you, what happens if you find the tiger and it's not the right tiger and you shoot that one. And. He's kind of like, I, I, I've been doing this job for a while. Like, I know what I'll be tracking. And they're like, no, you must have harmony and balance with nature. Now, I don't have a problem with, obviously, conservation efforts. 
But if you have a tiger that's killed 13 people, and in the months before they hired him, he had killed three people, The not him, the tiger. The tiger had killed three people in one month. So the government's like, they let it go on for two years. The government's like, this is just going to get worse. And Khan was like, the area is starting. There's not a lot of other animals for the tiger to eat where the tiger's at. So it's just going to keep eating humans until we stop it. Conservation groups try to block him from the hunt. The court ruled that you can go out and kill the tiger. But actually, they ruled you can capture the tiger. But if you can't capture it, you can kill it. But try to capture it. I'm sure Khan had like his fingers crossed behind his back. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Capture it. He ends up, again, this is just totally badass. So he goes to hunt it, and he shows up at the place, you know, like the village area. And he's like, I don't need jeeps. I hunt on elephants. So he's riding elephants. Him and his team are riding elephants through the area. Now, I imagine, I know India is quite populous, but I imagine this particular part of India is more like on the outskirts. So it's not like he's riding elephants through Mumbai, like shooting, shooting, shooting the tiger as it's like running through the streets. I don't think it's like Black Hawk Down where it's like this huge urban warfare. Although now that I say that, that would be quite cool. Eventually, it takes him about a month. This thing had been around for two years. It takes him about a month or two. They do corner it. His son takes the shot. His son actually does end up killing the tiger. Family business. And so people complain that it was killed and stuff like that. And he's like, listen, he also, this is, he, he's pretty good at his quotes too. He is basically the James Bond of hunters. His quote was, when people complained about him killing it, him killing animals in general, he goes, blame the courts. Blame the courts. This is his exact quote. My job is of a hangman. I am the man who is putting the noose on the convict and pushing the button of the gallows. So it's not his decision to kill these things. The government is saying, go take care of this. And he's like, okay. Just like a hangman has said, you got to kill this guy. And the hangman's like, okay, it's living, right? But they do kill it. And then when they asked him before he started the hunt, too, this is another quote I like, before he started a hunt, they were asking him, hey, so why do you want to kill this tiger? And he goes, I have no desire to shoot the tiger or even capture it. They've called me because they are incompetent. He killed all these people over two years, takes care of it in a month. So, and he's just going to go on. Now it's a, you know, it's a family business. His son will carry on his legacy. I find that interesting. That's a much longer segue than I expected to the story that I do want to address right now. And this is the story... Uh, I talked before about cryptids who killed people, and I found one, the Popelik monster. I may have found another one. I think it really depends on what you believe, but it definitely has racked up quite the body count. We're going to Malai. Malawai, sorry. We're going to Malawai. It's the year 2002. It's August. People are just kind of wandering, doing their things in their village, fetching water, making clay pots. Watching Friends. I don't know. It's not back in time. So, I mean, they, they was a village. So, they didn't have a huge infrastructure. But, you know, it's not like they were just sitting around doing, like, shadow puppets and stuff. And this guy goes, you know what? I'm going to go out. I'm going to go get some more water. And everyone's like, okay. You know, spy dad. So they they should have hugged him. That's it. That joke's in bad taste. Guy's walking off through the darkness to go get some water. He's glowing green eyes. He's all of a sudden we see beast vision running towards him. Point of view of the creature, like a bad horror movie. The man is beset by a creature, knocks him to the ground, attacks him, rips off his hands, and then his legs. 
a short time after that, man's walking around the village on the outskirts, not thinking safety in numbers, walking around the outskirts, thinking, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen on Friends tonight. I wonder if Ross and Rachel will ever end up together. Creature <laughs> attacks him. Huge claw shreds him, ripping out both of his eyes and both of his ears, oddly enough. Short time after that. People are getting a little wary at this point. Short time after that. A woman is doing her laundry. I don't know specifically what these people were doing. I just know that they were attacked. This woman's doing her laundry. She's hanging it up on her clothesline. She's thinking, that Chandler Bing, all of a sudden, gets attacked from behind, smashed to the ground, feels powerful jaws begin to close over her head. Oh, wait, no. For this to happen... She gets smashed from the front, lands on her back, <laughs> feels powerful fangs, starts to claw into her head. Something eats off her nose and her mouth. These are the survivors, by the way. Five dead, 20 horribly maimed by this creature. A four-legged creature that's just attacking people on sight, really. The police come into the area, the paramilitary police come into the area, a bunch of game rangers come in, they're searching for it, they can't find it. Finally, though, they do find a large beast roaming the wilderness, and they light it up. (laughs) Kill it! And they go, oh, it was a hyena. It was just a rabid hyena. It's a one-off incident. Freak of nature. Now, the villagers are saying, we saw it, and we knew what it looked like it wasn't a hyena like it was like a quadruped it was like a beat like a predator type beat not like alien predator but like a like a four-legged like hairy creature monster well, they said hyenas had really small legs and the creature that was attacking us was much bigger and the government's like no it's we shot it it was a rabid hyena it trusts us it that makes sense that's why the hyena would be attacking people that's why it was just like super vicious It was crazy. It wasn't thinking. People are like, "Eh, you know, maybe, maybe. Seven months later, villagers are going about their day. Now, I want to say this isn't one village either. This is a massive landscape with multiple villages because we'll see the number pop up here in a second. It's not just like one village of 10 people. This This is a pretty big land mass with these different villages in it. Seven months later, though, the villagers are walking around just doing villager stuff, and they notice a lump in the field, probably about 30, 40 feet away. They walk over to it, and they're like, oh, I hope I hope that's not what I think it is. It kind of looks like a human body. Old woman with her head crushed and intestines half-eaten hanging out of her body. They're like, uh, oh, no. This isn't good. Short time after that, more attacks. <laughs> People just getting just horribly disfigured by this creature appearing out of the darkness. They find another old woman. Head just completely just guts ripped out, half eaten. And then what really started to spark the panic was they found another body. Not quite as large as a woman's. It was a a baby. Half eaten. 4,000 people from all these different villages in the area, 4,000 people just packed their stuff up 
and left. They marched all the way to this community center, and they're just, it was like 100 kilometers away from the villages. They had like this big community center. 4,000 people just said, we're done. Packed up the stuff that they had, and they marched all the way there, and they said, we're just, we are staying in here until that thing is killed. Because this second round of attack, three dead, 16 wounded, just seven months after the first attack. And the government says, listen, it must be another rabbit hyena, right? And the villagers are saying, no, this is the spirit of the creature that you killed coming back for more blood. That story happened in August 2002. There was absolutely no follow-up to it. Now, and this story was from the BBC. This wasn't like from some fringe website. The, the Malawi terror beast is what it's called. It has popped up now on cryptid websites. These initial reports, there's tons of people quoted. There's doctors and politicians and villagers and things like that. These are very, very well-sourced stories, and there was no resolution to it. There's no, oh, we, they finally killed it, and it was another rabbit hyena. There's nothing. The story just ends with that second news report of the mass migration of people. The end. Nothing. Very bizarre. Now... It's fair to say that back in 2002, internet record-keeping isn't to the level it is now. But it's kind of creepy. What if there was something out? I mean, like, if it's just weird to me that the story just ends, that there's absolutely no follow-up. Did the 4,000 people eventually go back to their villages? I doubt they're still in the community center. But did they ever catch this thing? Was it ever, yes, another rabbit hyena? What, was what they killed the first time not the right creature? And if it wasn't, if there was a cryptid operating in that area, and it knew it was being hunted, and basically the hunters kill another creature and they think that's it, what level of intelligence would you need of a natural predator to say, you know what, I'm going to lay low for a while. I'm going to lay low. Let them let get not scared of me anymore. And then I'm going to come back when they least expect it. Weird. It's a weird story. I imagine if you had a cryptid that was smart enough to lead the hunters to go kill another animal and then come back around and start eating people again. That's incredibly unlikely. It's incredibly unlikely. But yeah, I think the story's interesting because it is a cryptid with a body count. It came back from the dead or just another hyena got rabies. And there's no resolution to it. It could still be going on. Or just have ended with them never catching the second creature. Those poor people could still be at the community center and they never found out that yes, Ross and Rachel did end up together. Malawi Terror Beast, another cryptid with a body count. I bet you there's a lot more out there. And what's funny is I bet you there's a lot more out there because the people who see them don't come back to tell the tale. And that actually leads us into our next story. This is a phenomenon I heard about a long time ago. I've always found completely interesting. And you can look at it from a few different ways. You can look at it from a scientific view. You can look at, at it from a paranormal view. I'm going to read you this poem here. You're like, oh, yeah, Jason. I've always wanted Jason to read a poem on, on his podcast. I'm going to read you this poem. I didn't write it, but I could have because I'm that good. This poem is called, well, it's an excerpt from The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. Who is the third who walks always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look up ahead the white road, there is always another one walking beside you. Gliding, wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded. I do not know whether a man or a woman. 
So T.S. Eliot wrote that. It's a much, from a much longer poem, but that's the section that we're going to be talking about because there's something known as the third man phenomenon, and it's named after that poem. And that part of the poem is based on a real life event. Back in like 1919, right before the outbreak of the World War One, of the World War One, of the Great War, there was a guy named Ernest Shackleton, or I'm sorry, Sir Ernest Shackleton. And he's a really fascinating guy. I had to read a lot about him to prep this episode. And I was like, I, I think the story that goes into this is more fascinating, but I don't know if it really fits this show, but I'd recommend taking a look. The show notes are there. Really, really just adventurous guy. But he came up with this plan. He wanted to take a boat to one side of the South Pole, walk across the South Pole, and then be able to get on another boat. He was an adventurer, and he was considered one of the greats of the heroic heroic age of Arctic expedition. And that's all, because I get I can go on and on. It is a very fascinating story, but it's a daily podcast. So I only have a half hour. Anyway, so while this was going on, it didn't work out. And his ship got crushed by ice because it froze. And then the ice froze more and it crushed his boat. And they had to live on an iceberg for a couple. I guess I'm talking about it a little more. He had to live on an iceberg for a couple months. And then him and his team goes, we're going to take a smaller boat. We're going to go to this island, the South Georgia Islands. And there's a whaling station there. Everyone else stay behind on this iceberg, ice flow. We're going to take this boat. We'll go get help. So anyways, they do, and they end up on the wrong side of South Georgia Island, and they have to hike for 36 hours over these mountains because they know that if they don't make it to the research station, the whaling station, everyone on the ice floe is going to die. There's like another 40 people left behind. So they just walk. And Ernest Shackleton, when he got back, everyone survived miraculously. He said, you know, there was three of us. It was me. My two other guys were marching over this. 36 hours march over this mountain he goes but there was a fourth person there they're absolutely like i always felt like there was a fourth person marching with us and the other people felt it too in that expedition climbers have talked about they're climbing up mountains they get really really high up in the mountain and they'll there's a ton of stories about this stuff they'll be climbing and a, a climber will climb up with them and be like, hey, man, what's up? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's really good, really good climb, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. Hey, what's your name? My name is Jimmy. Hey, yeah, my name's, my name's Jason. How you doing? And the one guy who actually did talk about Jimmy said, the, he, there was another climber with me. And he told me, he's like, hey, man, you check your oxygen gauge. You might want to make the mix better. Yeah, this is how I do it. See? He goes, I'm looking at him. He goes, I could hear the sound of his oxygen tank. We had this long conversation. He goes, we get to the top of the summit, turn around, completely gone. There was another guy who was also climbing Mount Everest, who was climbing up, and this guy's just like, come on, keep going. No, no, no. You know what? I think maybe now it's the time for rest. Yeah, let's catch your breath for a while. You feeling good? Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. Okay, you want to start climbing again? And he's a very encouraging voice, to the point where this climber, he had a snack in his pocket. He took it out of his pocket, broke it in half, turned to give it to the other guy. There was no one there. He was alone on the mountain. And this thing is called the third man phenomenon. And it's this almost universal belief that when you're trapped by yourself or you're in extreme circumstances, you will sense somebody else there to encourage you on. There was a guy named Ron DeFrance. I don't want to just keep reading off incidents, but I find this fascinating. There was this guy named Ron DeFrance. This will be my last one. There's a guy named Ron DeFrancesco, September 11th. He was on the 84th floor. The plane hit. And he's like, oh, I've, the 
building's on fire. I better go down the stairs. And he starts going down the stairs. Everyone else is running up because they're like, the, the floors down there are on fire. We have to get away from the fire. And he goes, it's, I'm going to go downstairs anyway. And they're like, you're going to die. You can't go down there. And it is on fire. And he grabs a piece of like drywall and he decides to start trying to push his way through the fire. And it's too hot. And then he hears a voice on the other side of the fire being like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I know it's hot and I know it's really painful and scary right now, but you can do it. You have to do it. And he pushed his way through the fire. That voice, there was no one on the other side of the fire telling him to keep going. And he survived, obviously, to tell that tale. Third man phenomenon is so common. There have been multiple scientific studies done on what causes the third man phenomenon. There was a recent one. They talked to 83 hikers, 83 mountain climbers. So what what the study basically showed was that like half of them had bizarre encounters, but not to the level that it would be classified as a psychotic episode. And then I think it was like 23% of them, because I don't have my notes in front of me, but 23% of them had what they would be classified medically as a psychotic encounter, i.e. a hallucination. But they also had symptoms of, you know, like mountain climbing sickness, basically, like they had symptoms of like brain swelling because of the oxygen deprivation, things like that. But a good quarter of them, a good 25% of them, had a psychotic episode and were physically totally fine. They had no oxygen loss. They had no brain swelling, nothing like that. So you had people who at the bottom of the mountain were completely mentally healthy. They go up the mountain, they have a psychotic episode, they come back down. And all of this stuff generally ends right after the event. It's not like this invisible friend's hanging out with you for the rest of your life. And that's what the third man factor is. There's two, I mean, obviously the first explanation is, and again, they've tried replicating this multiple times. There's all sorts of studies done where people have said where, and it's hard because you can't take someone and put them under stress and make them like see somebody else. But they go, maybe it's disassociativeness. Maybe they're so stressed out, they're actually seeing another person mimic their movements to help them through something. It's some sort of coping mechanism. Some people think that it's related to oxygen deprivation or just a high-stress event. Some people think it's the physical toll on the body. Because sailors, people who are stranded at sea, will wake up and there'll be another person on the raft. These, this is a quite common among survivors of horrible events. They'll see these things. Science is really trying to figure out what it is. What causes the brain to begin to hallucinate? What causes an otherwise healthy brain to begin to hallucinate or have a psychotic episode? Now, obviously, the other side of it is it is a guardian angel or some sort of spirit. There's an old legend that if you die on a mountain climb, that you it is then your job to protect other hikers and climbers from having the same fate now personally if you died doing what i'm doing i don't want your advice i think that's good advice to take if i'm trying to learn how to drive a bus and a ghost of a previous bus driver shows up and he's like hey you better use your turn signal i'm like uh, we're on a freeway i don't think i'm using my turn signal right now i would be a little concerned if a ghost of a hiker was trying to help me but that's the other thing a, a lot of people think that the third man factor is either an angel a spiritual guide, or, interestingly enough, I know I mispronounced that word, but I'm going to keep going, it's possible that the third man effect is a scientific thing, it's a scientific process, 
And that is where the stories of guardian angels come from. Because people back in the olden times would endure these horrible things. And then they would come back and tell their people, yeah, in the middle of the desert when I was all trapped, this dude showed up. And just helped me through the desert and helped me find water. That's always the weird thing, too, is that their advice... And I'll get to the... Actually, I'm kind of jumping the gun, but their advice is always helpful. They'll say, hey, check your oxygen gauge. And the guy will look down and be like, oh, yeah, I probably should check my oxygen gauge. You're right. Keep pushing through the fire. Keep pushing through the fire. You'll be okay. The guy pushes through the fire and is okay. So if you... Back in olden times, and even today, but even more importantly, in olden times, when these stories were first being told about angels and messengers of God, that would be the only way you could explain it. You'd say, yeah, this ghost or this person who wasn't real helped me through this horrible tragedy and then left. I just talked about the talking tumor on Friday. It could be some, that is basically a level of the third man factor. But what was interesting was in the paper I initially read for this topic, for this episode, was a scientific research about the mountain climbers having the psychotic episodes. And they were saying that, you know, the climbers come down and they go, yeah, I did hallucinate, but it was very helpful. It helped me to keep going, helped me to push on. The paper, the article says, yeah, because you had a good psychotic episode. If you had a bad psychotic episode, you wouldn't live to tell about it. So we talk about the third man factor, but is there an opposite one? Is there a time when a sailor is sitting on a raft in the middle of nowhere? And instead of the encouraging man sitting on the raft with him, saying, just give it another day. Just give it another day. What happens when he wakes up and there's a man sitting on the raft and he goes, you're never going to live. Just give up. It's all over. We would never hear his story. Or what about when the guy's climbing in the middle of Mount Everest and another climber shows up and they're talking and he goes, I think your gauge is broken on your oxygen tank. I think you need to turn it up. I think that, and it it starts messing with you. Or go left. Go left here. I know a shortcut. We never hear those stories. It's weird because it is a phenomenon that is only positive because only the people who have the positive experiences live through it. But but are there, out of, for every third man event that we have, are there hundreds more of people lost, of people trapped, of people cornered by flames, and someone appears in front of them and says, come with me, come with me, I know a way out. And we just find a body, a set of bones, or nothing at all. Who was their third man? Okay, so (laughs) I didn't want to ruin the narrative. Because I really like this episode, I really like the way it's turning out. But I'm editing it, I'm editing this at the end. If you stick around and listen to it. I'm editing the episode, and I start listening back to it. And I'm talking about how I don't want to get lessons from somebody who died doing what I did. Now, I haven't driven a car in maybe seven years at this point. Maybe longer. Maybe closer to nine. So, when I said, if I was... If a ghost told me, 
hey, you better use your turn signal right now. My response was, dude, we're on a freeway. I don't think I'm using my turn signal because I was thinking you don't turn on a freeway. (laughs) I realized editing the episode that you have to use turn signals to change lanes. Really, even in my example, there's most likely there was a semi barreling down the road and the ghost of a bus driver showed up and said, Dude, you haven't driven in nine years. Use your damn turn signal. And I'm like, nah, man, we're on a freeway. You don't use turn signals on a freeway. And then I just doom myself and all my passengers to a lifetime of also warning future travelers. Although I'm sure the ghosts would be like, dude, you do not get to warn anybody about anything ever. So I figured I would just... I'm sure, honestly, I think probably most listeners listen to the show when they're at work or during their homework, and that small passage probably didn't jump out to them. But I was like, oh my god. That's why. My, my uh, exit music queued up here um, because I didn't mute it. But um, we'll just go ahead and uh, end it out here. Uh, DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is Jason O'Carpenter. Here we go. We'll just let it fade out. I'll do a little mix fade out. Thanks for listening, guys. I just had to add that in there. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.